You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 176 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? Great, Valerie. How are you going? Good. What's happening in Gina world? Uh, you know what? And what? I don't want to launch into a big long story, but <laughs> there's been um, there's an issue with the, the people building behind my home. Oh, why? What's been happening? Well, because the 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 head guy uh, needs to speak very poorly to his uh, assistants. Like, like he tears shreds off them when he's speaking oh. to them. It's awful to listen to. So mm-hmm. I couldn't stand it. So I went and told him off. Oh, okay. What'd you say? I just said you can't speak to people like that. And plus we can hear everything and like his language is really, really colourful. Oh, like, yeah, lots wow. of uh, education in four-letter words. Right. And it's like really loud. But this poor kid cops it. All day long. Aww. And I just needed to defend him. Okay. And what did the guy say? He he looked like he, he reverted to a, like a nine-year-old child, like he was being told off by his mother. And I wasn't telling <laughs> him off, but I did just look at him and smile, you know. I know the smile. I did that. I've seen and it. I'm like, wow, this is a big hulking tradie kind of a guy and I've reduced him to – I probably could have kept going and made him cry, but I did, that wasn't the point. I just didn't want to have to listen. Like while I'm trying to do interviews with yeah. that gun that's streaming through the house in the background and offend all the listeners, Val. So has he continued? No, they um they actually the neighbour then rang me and said they've gone home for the day. Right. Wow. That, okay. That's how powerful the telling off was. What about you, Val? <laughs> I haven't told off anyone that I can think of uh, lately, so no, my day has not been quite so colourful. Right. Yes. <laughs> I've just been doing my usual stuff. I finished at one. I finished a commission, an artwork commission, so that's going to be heading off to Melbourne in a couple of days, actually. Um. And uh, what else have I been doing? I've been preparing for a corporate client that I've got uh, coming up and that's, you know, involving quite a bit of work. Um, But it's all fun. And... And then I'm, we're going to be hanging out. Yes, we're going to be hanging out. Yes. I don't think I've so, spoken to you as much in the last three days of, as I have in my life. <laughs> <laughs> About very important things. Very so, important. But it should be fun and we're going to pray for good weather. Yes. You know, you'll and have a little, chat. A little cloud to, every now and then, you know, just yes. for a little bit of soft life. Yes. And we're going to shoot in my hometown. 
Exactly. Not only and I'm my gonna hometown. blend in, Valerie. I'm just You're gonna not be gonna blend local. In. You're not gonna blend in. Um, not only are we here. shooting in my hometown, we're shooting practically in my street. Aren't we? Yes. Yes, yeah, so much. it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Because I'll know cool. everyone. It'll be weird. Is it just going to be you're like a rock star in that town, aren't you? Well, no. <laughs> I'm not a rock star anywhere. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but, you know, I do know the local establishments because I spend a lot of time there. <laughs> of course you do. Yes. You've uh, single-handedly probably um, lifted that town to another level. <laughs> the economy. Especially the- <laughs> at, what is it, the hardware store? <laughs> yes, that's right, the hardware store, the cafes. Um, oh, and the, the single-handedly saved the economy. <laughs> well, we're going to be doing a lot of filming. We're going to be filming tutorials for the gold community. We're going to be shooting a new course, which is very, very exciting. We're going to be doing a bunch of behind-the-scenes videos so that you guys can see what goes on during a shoot. I might even convince Gina, wait for it, everyone. I don't know if I'll be successful. I'll tell you, put me on the spot like this. I might, and I've I, had no say in it. What? I, what? I, I, <laughs> look, I, I'm, I might not be successful, guys, but if you're a listener, make sure you're in the podcast community on Facebook. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. Now, if you want Gina to do a Facebook Live while she's in Sydney, you know, because then I'll just make it happen, then let us know in the podcast group. And if enough people say, Gina, we want you to do a Facebook Live, I will... I will do my best to make it happen, guys. So, so there I am, strapped to a pole, tied up. Going, no. <laughs> but you know, it's possible because you're going to get a blow dry, Gina. So your your hair Let's will look good anyway. Dry, Valerie. Anyway, so yes. <laughs> Course. All right, so um, let's move on. We've got a pretty exciting guest today, haven't we? Yes, um, I'm very excited to bring Anna Brandt, an interview with Anna that I just did, and uh, she is amazing. Um, her maternity and baby photography is just beautiful and um, she has been named one of the 10 best photographers in California, one of the 50 most inspiring photographers and like voted California's top newborn photographer of last year and also like she travels the world doing these shoots. She's got an A-list clientele and she's also uh, a multi-award winning photographer, author, teacher, and she's got three children of her own. And uh, so her, her, her work, like I can't gush enough about it. It's, it's amazing stuff. So shall we have a listen to the interview, Val? Absolutely. So here is Anna. Hey, Anna, how are you going? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Where where in the world are you? (laughs) Right now, I'm in my home in Orange uh, in California. Is that the OC? It is the OC. That that was one of my favorite shows, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You never saw it. Never saw it. You what? 
No. You're probably <laughs> you know, too busy having babies, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, I came from, you know, New York to California and didn't really know anything about California when I moved here. And then, yeah, I was having babies and then that show came and I never really paid attention to it. Um, but now I kind of see what other people see about the OC and most of it is true. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful part of the world, though, that you live in. So lovely. And you're coming into your winter, which is not really a winter. It doesn't exist, really. You, it yeah. drops down to you might wear a jacket <laughs> at night if you're lucky. So, um, all right. So I want to chat to you about this uh, beautiful photography that you do, your newborn and your pregnancy shots. First of all, I want to ask you, to become a newborn photographer, do you think there are specific character traits that you need to be able to handle babies and, and even working with pregnant women? Because pregnant women, there's hormones going on, they could be emotional, and then these babies, you've got these tiny little things that you're working with and there's like I imagine it's it's pressure there there is a window of opportunity when you're working with babies what do you think are the character traits that you need to be a great newborn photographer yeah I think number one is patience you have to be a very patient person uh, because babies really are in control. You can't really force a baby to do anything. Um, <laughs> you know, you really, if you think about it, you just can, nor can you force a two-year-old to do anything. Um, so patience is super, super important. With pregnancy, I think you have to be able to direct. It's not for the meek. You can't just sit there and expect your client to walk in front of your camera and like perform some, I don't even know, show. It's up to you to direct and guide them and keep an eye on them from head to toe for shape and lighting and direction and modeling and posing and all of that. And so I think above all, it's you have to be a photographer that's um, okay not being the center of attention because you're not. It's not about you. It's about the baby. It's about the pregnant mother. And, you know, many times it's just time and patience to get the right shot and to pay attention to the details because I feel like a lot of people, they're in such a rush all the time and uh, they're always trying to rush to get the next shot. And I tell people with the newborn, the majority of your time is spent soothing and posing the baby. The actual clicking of your camera takes like a second. Right. So, you know, that your time has to be spent soothing, caring, holding, rocking, shushing, wrapping so that you just click the camera and then repeat. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a labor intensive process and not everybody is able to do it. And you have to be able to do it in extreme um, conditions of heat, <laughs> which I happen to love, but not everybody can work in like, you know, 80 or 85 degrees all the time. And the reason for heat is to keep the baby warm, right? So they're not getting, um, they're not catching cold or being cold. So they're comfortable. Correct. Yeah. I have an assistant that tells me, um, she, she never really wants to be a newborn photographer because she just can't handle the heat. So she'll, <laughs> she'll come in and help out for a few minutes and then leave. Cause she just, she's like, I could not do this all day, every day. And she's a very high energy, excitable person. And I was like, you're right. You, you can't, this is not your thing. And, you know, I think it's, 
impressive of her to, to realize that. And sometimes people, it takes them a while to realize maybe this just isn't their thing. It's like weddings. I love looking at bridal photos. I do not want to shoot weddings. I don't, I just don't want to spend 12 hours with a bride. I just don't want to do it. But I can love wedding photos, just like I think people can love baby photos. But do you really want to spend three and four hours or two, three, four hours in 80 to 85 degree temperatures? Posing a newborn baby. So, all right, why babies? What 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 was it that, that got you uh, interested in photographing babies? Was there a moment when you just decided I want to photograph babies? Was there a shoot that 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 triggered your love of baby photography? What happened? No, and you know, I wish I had an exact answer, and I do not. I will tell you that. Uh, in an odd way, I feel like it's all I was ever drawn to. And, you know, this is a question that when people ask me, it's impossible to answer without giving an overview of my birth story. I, I've tried in a hundred different ways to just give like this short answer or this, this shoot that changed my life. And it's, it's nothing of that. Uh, I'm an adopted child. I don't own any newborn photos of myself. I've never seen what I looked like as a baby or even as a toddler. I don't own any photos of myself as a child. I don't have any photos of my biological mother. I've never seen what she looked like pregnant or my father or my siblings. And so I was put into, I was abandoned and then put into foster care and then later adopted. So I knew my biological mother had left me. I knew I was left on a street abandoned. I, I knew I was adopted. Um, I was adopted into a family where is, is mixed. My dad is born and raised in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, so, you know, he's Latin and my mom is Norwegian. So they were like Lucy and Ricky Ricardo growing up. Wow. And at that time, 50 years ago, it was a little taboo for a white woman from Brooklyn to marry a Latin man from South America. And, uh, then, you know, they adopted me. I'm a Puerto Rican. Um, they have three children of their own and then they adopted another child. And, um, so growing up with a white mother and a father that could pass as mine, because we have the same skin and hair. I mean, if he didn't know your your areas, you could think he would be my dad. Um, I knew I was different, and I knew that I didn't have any visual history of myself. Now, obviously, as a teenager, I'm not walking around saying this. I think it was just something I knew in my brain. I had a grandmother who was the picture taker of the family, and she would always send photos to my family, this family in South America, because my dad was the only one here. He ended up becoming a U.S. citizen, but the entire side of my dad's family, they live in uh, Argentina. He was the only one that came here. Oh. And, you know, to this day, all these years later, we still have every, every year, oh, the Argentines are coming. They come, they stay for a month and my family goes there and, and vice versa. So photos were important for sure. Um, we did the school photos. I had never, when I turned pro, I had never been photographed myself in a professional photography studio. I had never stood foot in a photography studio. Um, I spent my twenties in the dark room. I went to school for accounting, but I, photography was just a hobby. It was just my thing. I was just Aunt Anna with a camera. My two older brothers had children right after college. So I had nieces and nephews that are now one niece just got married and the nephew just bought a house. They're like wow. 25, 26 years old. 
And they were my first subjects. Not, not knowing I was going to be a photographer, just going, wait a minute, there's a new baby in the family and seeing generations, seeing the relationship between the mother, the grandmother, my grandpa lived till he was 97. So seeing all these generations and seeing the love of the newborn baby, watching my sister-in-laws become pregnant was something that, you know, I'd never seen or experienced before. And so I was immediately gravitated. I mean, those nieces and nephews, I was in their face with, I mean, I had 110 cameras, used cameras, whatever someone would give me that would shoot film, I would shoot. Polaroids, you name it. Either it's in camera I haven't shot with. And from... 19 to 29, 10 years, I was Aunt Anna with a camera. Not one time in those 10 years did I say I wanted to become pro. Not one time did I say I wanted to shoot newborns. I studied Ansel Adams because I was in love with black and white. I loved Ann Geddes' early work. I would pour over books and magazines because I'm very obsessive and I like to learn things. But there was no time that I go, Oh, one day I'm going to do this. It was just, all I can say, it was like moths to a flame. All I can say is that there was something about me that gravitated towards this. And I, I don't have any explanation except that. I mean, I look back, I, I wish someone would have even said at 25, this is what's going to happen. I, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have said, you're out of your mind. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about this business. And I became a web designer certified. I kind of dive when I want to learn something, I kind of dive into it. So I became a certified web engineer. I was doing the internet at 22 before it was even what it is now. So by 29, I was very established. I had been working straight, put myself through college, paid for everything, was very independent on my own, um, was engaged to be married, still a hobbyist photographer. Anyone that knew me knew I had a camera. So you were the one at all the parties with the camera. You were the one everywhere you went, you went with a camera. So you loved it. You loved the craft. It was, I loved it. There was one point I will tell you where I was in my twenties and I I don't remember how old I was, maybe, maybe 24. I don't know. Maybe 25. I really, I maybe 24, I think. And my sister said, Hey, we're having a barbecue in upstate New York at my, my new house. And I wanted to come up for the weekend. Not unusual. We have a big family. I was living in the city at the time. I remember that weekend like it's yesterday because I remember thinking, oh, I'm going home. We have a big family. I'm not going to bring any boyfriends or any friends. I always had somebody in tow. I'm just going to go myself and enjoy the family. I'm not even going to take a camera, no computer. I'm just going to grab my purse, grab a change of clothes and go home. I show up at my sister's home <laughs> and it's a backyard surprise wedding. And my sister told everyone her sister was a photographer. <gasps> She did not hire a photographer and thought I'd have my camera. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. What happened? You didn't have iPhones then. I had had nothing. No iPhones. Oh, my God. My dad had a, a camera from Argentina. I don't think there are photos to this day. I remember grabbing it. I don't remember ever seeing photos or film. I don't even know if the film got developed. I remember at that moment thinking, my family thinks I'm a photographer. And I remember feeling devastated. My sister looked amazing. My mother married her. And I drove 
three hours back to the city going, okay, that was, that was really, I don't even know what that was. That was disappointing. That was embarrassing. That was, that was okay. I guess, I guess they think I'm a photographer. I don't know. And, and that's the only moment that I ever had, um, thinking that maybe some, somebody thought something of me and it wasn't, and even to this day, I've never had that moment again. I mean, my, my family, they don't, they don't half the time. They don't even know where I am. They're, they're like, Oh, are you traveling? Or what do you mean people want to be trained by you? What do you mean people follow you? They just don't get it at all. I mean, none of them are in the baby photography. I mean, my parents saw me teach once and they were just staring at me like, what is she doing exactly? So, you know, uh, what, what ended up happening was I got married I moved to the West Coast. I was sitting in a, a meeting with the web designers and I remember it was a holiday weekend and I wanted to work at home that Friday and they said, no, we don't want you to work at home. And I'm like, why? My contract says I can work at home. I haven't worked at home since I transferred. No, we want you in your cubicle. Okay. Tell me why. Oh, it just doesn't look good on the other web project managers. And I remember sitting there going, well, I really don't care. My boss said, well, let's go talk in the conference room. And I walk in the conference room and HR is sitting there and, they, and I said, why, why are you guys? sitting here. I don't understand. And they go, well, we understand you want to work at home. I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I could work at home on Friday. And they're like, well, it was just this endless conversation. And I remember going, you know what? I think this is not the place for me anymore. And they're all looking at me going, what are you talking about? And I remember at 29 sitting there going, I have worked for 10 years, put myself through school, apartments, traveled, bought my car. I've done everything anyone's ever asked me to do. I show up on time. I leave. I do anything anyone's asked me. And I think I just want to, I think I just want to leave. And they're like, you're just going to quit. At 29? 29. I was making $80,000 a year plus bonus. Mm -hmm. In a good year, Mm -hmm. I could bring in $100,000 by myself. And I quit that day. My husband, I'd just been married. He was in Colorado. I called him up crying. I just quit my job. And I cried for three days, just sat in my pajamas, didn't change, didn't leave the condo in Huntington Beach that we were at. And I just cried. And I remember thinking, I have no idea why I'm crying. I'm very employable. I can get a job tomorrow. I've got a great resume, great work history. But I think I was crying because I knew in hindsight that I was never going back to the corporate world. Hmm. I had absolutely no idea of my future. No idea. I had a used camera from eBay, no lights, no studio, no real knowledge except for darkroom classes I had taken, Uh, no marketing. Nobody knew my name because I was just married. I didn't even know my name. It was my third name. My adopted, my biological name, my adopted name, my married name. So Anna Brand really didn't mean anything. I didn't know anybody in California except for my husband. I knew that he was the only person. So no friends, no family, no job, nothing. And my husband travels. So there I am sitting alone in California going, I think I'm just going to go on my own. And I had... That's it. I had nothing else. And, you know, my dad's an accountant. So I ended up registering my business. I already had a website because I was a designer and that was easy. Of course, you probably had a really nice one. Yeah. Yeah. And I did all the kind of legal stuff right away. And then I literally built my business one client at a time. And I felt alone that the the first two years I was here were probably the most painful years of my life because, you know, I I, I didn't have anything. And I remember thinking, I asked my husband how many times I asked for a divorce or an annulment. Like, I want to go home. I want to go back. I'm like, I, what am I doing? And, and then I remember thinking, wait a minute, 
I can do whatever I want to do. And we lived a walking distance to the beach. I spent a lot of time walking to the beach. And I, I tell my students now, what's great about that period of my life is number one, I had absolutely no idea of my future. None. I mean, I didn't even have a glimpse. Um, number two, I didn't know any professional female photographers. I didn't have any experience. I didn't know what I should be striving to. Uh, there was no social media at the time. There's none of that. I said, but the best part was nobody expected anything of me. There was absolutely no expectations of me. My husband certainly wasn't saying go out and be a rock star and make money. He was making money. He could support both of us. There was no friends to kind of tease me and say, look, look what I'm doing. Try to do the same. So when you're so completely alone, there's a quote I remember years ago reading in a card. One can be so, so completely alone that they can see the world entire. And what that means is when you're so completely alone and when you feel like you have absolutely nobody around you, that's when you can see the entire world. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Do, do you know story. about astrology? Do you know about set and return at 29? No, I don't. You've never heard about that? No. So apparently when you're 29, or um, and sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sure people will correct me on this, but basically when you're 29, all the planets go back to the same position, the exact same position they were in when you were born. And it's a, it's a great time. It's a, a time in a lot of people's lives where they question everything and they'll make a spur of the moment decision like you just did at 29 that's why I was laughing when you when I when you said yeah 29 you just like leave this great job it sounds really cushy you were probably on back then a web designer was making squillions it was like a good a good job to have and you turn around and because they but they wouldn't let you work at home fair enough too but just up and go to just take a punt on yourself, which is typical mm. of, you know, what happens uh, during Saturn return. You get another one at 58. Really? So, wow. Look what you've got to look forward to. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> you, what you'll do. You look back, it's like people probably go, gosh, you know, who cares if they wouldn't have let you worked at home? And obviously that wasn't it, right, because – I was meant to just leave it, right? Of you know, there's so many things where it's like, well, it really wasn't about working at home. That just happened to be the pivotal point that made me go, wait a minute, you know, and if we had never had that conversation, would I have left? Probably not, right? Exactly. I mean, well, yeah. obviously you've done the right thing. So that's like, how many years ago was that? Uh, okay, sorry, I'm so not supposed to give I away a, lot, a, a few years ago. So 18 years. So 18 years and, and now you've got this uh, massive business, you're flying around the world, you're doing, you're doing exactly what you love every day, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. And part of that is the, um, this newborn photography. And I'm telling you, when I look at these images, I, like it almost, may, it's not going to happen, but I'm like, I want a baby. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're so I mean, beautiful. I see the same thing every day, and I'm 47. <laughs> Do you get that way when you're around? Because it's like there's something about that fresh newborn. Although it's been so long, I've got, I've got no one in my circle of friends that is having babies anymore. It's like there's there'll be a gap. I'm waiting. Um, hopefully, I'll be a grandmother soon at some point, not too far in the distant future. But like I'm just waiting for that moment to be able to hold a, a little newborn. But I always get really nervous about the soft spot. 
on their head. Do you know you're not supposed to touch the the top of their skull when they're newborn? Do you get, like, I've I've seen you, like, wrapping and unwrapping and moving them around, and you're very comfortable and confident with these um, little cherubs that you're working with. So walk me through, uh, like, a typical shoot. How is it, like, how do you prepare? Do you... Do you start out with the idea or do you form the idea? Do you look at the baby and think about their colouring and then work to to suit that, that particular baby's personality? Because they all have different personalities, don't they, even as newborns. What's your process? How do you, how do you decide what little cherub goes here, what props, what backgrounds? Yeah, so that's a good question. I am – I don't think I'm like every newborn photographer because I do see on social where newborn photographers will show their setups and be like, oh, I've got a baby tomorrow and they've got everything set up. And I'm always Mm. like, oh, wow, I can't do that. I'm one of those people where I need an I need two things. I need an absolute clean palette every single session and I need to know what's in my client's brain. So what that means is when um when a client comes in and there's like Wednesday, I have six sessions back to back. So there are some days where I'm like working a straight nine every day, but every session I have this thing where I need the entire studio clean. So picture a super clean studio, everything is in its place, everything color coordinated. I am a Virgo child. So I am very anal with, with putting things away. I have to have everything clean. So when the client walks in, they're walking into a clean studio. I mean, if I see so much as a wipeout, I, I freak out. I'm just right, like, I won't right. even let You're the client You're such a Virgo. Have you got I, everything um, labeled? N- yeah, well, we have bins labeled. Yes, yeah. of course. Bins Color and coordinated and, and everything's in a – yeah. Correct. Anything you can't see is labeled and everything mm. on the outside like wraps is everything is color coordinated. Yep. And um, so you when could they be come- a declutterer if that if, if like you wanted to stop being a photographer, you could be one of those people that goes into people's homes and declutters and organizes their spaces. Virgos are good at that. You're absolutely right. Do you know that this is what I tell people like once a month when people go like, if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? I'd be like, oh, closet organizer. Yeah. That's uh, my my friend Fatini Hatz's makeup artist. I I know like she'll be at my studio and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just organizing the kitchen. She'll put the tea bags in boxes. And she's like banned from some of our friends' houses because (laughs) they're like, she cannot go into the kitchen because like what she'll do is she'll completely reorganize the whole house. And that's her way of unwinding yes. she finds it relaxing you're the same right so satisfying i'm satisfied satisfaction oh my god i can't think of anything better filing put me in a room i'll file all day it's like the greatest thing in the entire world um i'd rather do that than anything else yeah if i'm really stressed out i'll start cleaning and people are like oh there she goes i'm like well because i there's an end result to this so i can i yeah. can control this yeah so when my client comes in I want them to, especially because they're bringing a newborn baby in, I want them to feel like it's comfortable and it's clean. And so whenever a client walks in and goes, oh, wow, it's so clean and organized. It's like my greatest compliment. I'm like, thank you, because I want you to feel you're bringing this 10-day baby in. I don't want you to bring it into a messy room. I want you to feel like you're the first client that used this room. 
Then the first thing I ask a client is besides why did you come to me, which is usually what I ask in the booking process. It's a very important question. But I, I say, is there any images that you've saved of my work that you like? Or are there any particular images that you've had in your brain that you really want? This is super, super important to me because I tell people that my client is the client that has spent five years in in vitro fertilization trying to have a baby. My client has had baby baby losses, has buried their children, has been remarried. You know, I don't have the 20 year old mother. I have the 35 year old mother, the 40 year old mother, um, the mother that has been a professional most of their life. And now they're standing in my studio with twins that I know they've worked really hard to get. So when they're coming to me, they're not coming to me because I'm the cheapest photographer they found in the yellow pages of social media. They're coming to me because there's something about my work that they are attached to. And sometimes it's just one image. Sometimes they'll go, this image, I love, this is why I came to you. And then other times it's, you know, 50 images. And when they send me, give me 50 images, I try to look at the similarity. Okay. What is it about these images? And there's usually a similarity. Are they all low key? Are they all high key? Are they all soft? Are they all, you know, what are they? And then I say, okay, now we're going to pick some things together. And so I'll say, I want you to pick two wrap colors. And then I want you to pick some headbands. And for every client that says, oh, no, 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 I trust you. I say, and I appreciate that, but I still want you to just, if I show you a tray of headbands, I want you to pick two that you like. And 99% of the times it's two that I wouldn't have picked. Right. And so I'm like, this is why I want you to pick it because photography, Ansel Adams says photography is a mutual collaboration. It's not about what I want. I'm, I'm of service. They're paying me for a service. So I have to come with, um, a, a service level type mentality to say they're coming here, they're paying good money. They're, they're getting out of their house, which is really hard to do with an eight, 10, 12 day oh, baby. Yeah. There's something in their mind that they, want. And I need to just get an idea what it is. And then if you collaborate with them and say, let's pick things together. And then we discuss the shoot as it's happening. And I'll even say, even today, I normally am off on Monday, but I took this celebrity client in for twins. I wanted it to be, I wanted them to have a private experience and not a busy studio. I wanted just them to come in quietly. And I actually, right before this podcast, she sent me a nice email thanking me because she knew, you know, she said she knows it's busy and she knows I'm closed Mondays and she knows how much I love my Mondays. So (laughs) thanks for taking the time. And I brought in a full staff to help her today. And throughout the whole shoot, it was just me going back and forth with her and her husband. Okay, you guys pick this. You guys pick this. Most of what she picked, I wouldn't have picked, but I still like it because it's everything I have. And then as I feel like I'm wrapping it up, I say, okay, this is the the last shot that we're going to get. And it was a naked shot yin and yang of the twins and what's great is it took all of us like we're all holding a finger or a hand and the dad's like I have him at a yoga ball and he's like Anna I just want you to know that I'm buying this shot no matter what I'm buying this shot because we've all worked got like six people holding two twins down they're kicking her butt he's like I will just pay for this shot. I don't care. Like, I know you're going to get it and I'm buying it. That's, that's what I want you to know. I was laughing because we each had like a finger on a head or a toe and like, it's nobody moving Two videographers. It was crazy. And we ended up getting the shot and we're like high-fiving each other. And that's what felt good is I was telling the parents, this was like a team effort. I don't want them to necessarily work during this session. I want them to be able to relax, take a nap, but I do want their input. And I do believe it should be a collaboration in, in any type of session yeah i think that's important and and i I love that you say that and that that you you haven't pre-prepared the shot because to that it kind of it it, it, that kind of feels like it's 
off the rack photography like you know you're you, it's same same doesn't matter who, who it is that comes in that, that that's yeah. what it's going to look like and it, and it, it, it can the websites can end up looking like everything's the same and it's not about the the portrait anymore it's not about the art it's just about getting them in getting them out because if for you you could probably get double the amount of sessions in a day if you just had this little conveyor belt of you know pre-set up little back little pods for the babies couldn't you you could, you could just oh, do it yeah. really quickly but then oh. that hurts your heart I mean, that's how I feel if I, I mean oh, I could yeah. line them up line them up let's get them in get them out but I'm like I go home empty I feel like I haven't created anything I, you're 100% right can I tell you about the day I lost a client because of that really she yeah she and I I was glad I, I, she had booked me for, I have a pregnancy and a newborn package. So when they buy that, they pay for both sessions, but before the pregnancy session. So if you've bought a pregnancy newborn session, the money is paid at time of booking while you haven't had even had the newborn yet. So the woman comes in for the pregnancy session and this is about eight years ago, maybe. And she had a three inch binder and in the binder was filled with probably half my work and half of work she found on the internet mm -hmm. with notes by every single pose of what she liked and what she didn't like about that pose with sticky notes and highlights and the order of how she wanted the images shot. Um, do alarm bells go off as you're seeing the bond? <laughs> like the is there a name? Like you get Bridezilla, is there an equivalent in the... No, because I've, I, it was a one-time thing. I never, ever, ever has have had that ever again. Once I is enough. <laughs> was so shocked. I literally remember standing there paralyzed with fear. Like I wanted to tell her, I think you should turn around and go home. Mm. That's how bad it was because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking – she wants me to copy all these poses, not only copy all these poses in the order that they are, but change things about the poses that she didn't like in her little playbook. So as I'm doing the shoot, I literally had it open, looking at the picture, trying to do it with her. I was frustrated. I was not happy. I felt like my creativity was crippled. Mm. It was one of the most miserable sessions I ever had. And when she was done, I said, I really don't think that we should do the newborn together and I'd like to refund your money. Yeah. And she, she said, agreed. Yeah, it was good like, choice. It was like not even a 10 minute conversation. And I said, if I could sit here and try to explain to you, oh, let me turn that off. I can sit there That's and try her. to. She wants to book you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, no, no. She's back. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I remember at the time. Oh, what is. See, I'm she's sorry. not giving up. You're talking about me again. She's saying, no, no, I've got, I've had, I've had two more sets of twins. Oh I'm coming I'm gonna... in. Put on my do not disturb. I have messages on my that come through on my on the computer. computer. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I have a do not disturb. And you know what? The do not disturb ended at nine and it's nine oh two. That's why it went on. Okay, there you there go. We go. So um I remember my assistant, my conversation was very brief and I left the room and I remember my assistant trying to talk to her and coddle her and say, oh, well, you know, it's just Anna and that's just kind of how she is. And, and I'm sure that she kind of 
there were things said, oh, you know, that photographer, I'm sure I was painted as some difficult photographer, not by my assistant, but, you know, the the, uh, the client, because my assistant at the time, we ended up working together 10 years. So she ended up really understanding who I was. And I remember thinking, no, that's not how it works. That's if, if that's not, how, that's not how it works. And even now when clients bring in photos, I had recently a client bring in a photo that wasn't mine. And she goes, I love this photo. And it was a photographer in New York. So I understand she couldn't have gone to her. She goes, I really love this photo. I love everything about it. I want that. And I said, okay, I want you to understand that I've worked with fabric for years. I've been working with fabric for 18 years. I can toss fabric all the day long. Here's the great thing about working with fabric. Cause it was a fabric tossed image. I said, no two images will ever be the same. So even if you brought that picture to me and I shot it, I still cannot duplicate it. And that's the joy of tossing fabric that's why i love it can you and just d- d- define tossing fabric because yeah, i've got so, no idea so, what you're talking about sure. <laughs> my images you'll see a pregnant woman where she's wearing nothing but silk you wouldn't know it sometimes even looks like a dress yeah but it's just silk and the fabric is being tossed in the air behind right. her i got it okay so yeah so just to give it life in the shot so yes. it's good moving and you can no there's no way you could replicate there's no that. way it is a very popular my client love it and they'll come in with pictures that I've taken and oh my gosh I love that shot and I'll say I love it too I have no idea how we got it we tossed like 50 times took 45 minutes I don't think I'll ever get it again and what I love when I talk to my clients is they'll go oh it's okay I know I know that's impossible you know you're dealing with air and wind but they'll say I just want to let you know that I love that idea and I'll go well here's the great thing we can toss the same fabric even to the same lighting and you're going to have a completely different image and you won't look like that other person you'll have your own unique image that I still can't duplicate and then they'll go oh okay good and so I feel like they're not even even a dream catcher there's a dream catcher where it's a round circle with flowers around it and it's a it looks like the baby's hanging you know off of a branch but they're not it's a composite that is probably my most requested newborn image but I have a rule where I refuse to duplicate an image which is why I refuse to buy digital backgrounds right and so I'll tell my client do you know that I put together all those flowers? The actual dream catcher is just kind of a brown round circle. And they'll say, okay, don't do whatever you want. I say, just pick uh, tons of flowers, pick the color flower you like. And even if they said purple and the client yesterday said purple, I have like five different shades of purple purposely so that I can mix it up and change it up. So no two images are exactly the same. And then they see that I do want them to have that image. I do love that they love that image, but I want it to be unique to their baby and make it just a little bit different. And does it take more work? Yes, I could buy a digital composite. I could make a digital composite and just slap a new baby in and each time yeah and it kills the creativity it yes. doesn't make you want to get out of bed in the morning yeah fair enough too that that's great that so getting back to the the baby shoot so each one you're, you're planning when the baby arrives so you'll you'll build the shot entirely so I noticed that you do tend to have a preference towards uh natural light over um, studio lighting with your babies. Is there a reason for that? Is it a safety thing? Is it a, um, is it just trying to simplify the process so that you can get the shot? What's, what's the reasoning behind it or is it not the case? I find it fascinating that you say that because it's not the case. It's not the case, but it is the case. So (laughs) (laughs) 
here's here's what's funny about that. As we're looking for a new studio, we've been in the studio seven years. My son is extremely excited about looking for studios today. He went searching on the internet, found all these studios. He showed me this gorgeous studio. I said, there's no natural light there. Yeah. He goes, well, yeah. well, mom, you don't have natural light now. In my studio, I cannot shoot natural light. And I said, I know, but I need it. I need the sun. It's my favorite thing in the world. I'm one of those people that lays in the sun for relaxation. I need light in my studio. And he's like, but mom, you haven't had it. I go, I know. And it's been bugging me for seven years. And so if I'm going to move studios after seven years and go until we're looking at a 5,000 square foot studio, Excellent. then you better believe I need natural light. Yeah. And right before this podcast interview, my husband, he went with my son to look at it and he comes in, he goes, Oh man, this is, this is a really good space. Like there's room for everything. You could do everything in here. I said, was there natural light? He's like, well, no, I don't, then I don't want to see it. He's like, well, humor me and, and go see it because your son really wants you to see it. I go, no problem. But I got to tell you, after working as long as I've worked, I, I just have one thing on my list and besides storage and space and all that stuff, I need natural light. Now, with that being said, the studio that I'm and now does not I do not have enough natural light to shoot but when I travel to my clients homes I have a rule that I made up like eight years ago yeah where I refuse to bring lighting to their home that's why that's where I got it then because so and the reason behind that is the reason is because I had an epiphany one day about eight years ago. I went to, and I have a big Asian clientele. So a lot of my Asian clientele, they're not supposed to leave the house for the month. And so that's why they prefer the photographer to come into the home. Is that, is that a custom? The baby's not yes. allowed to leave, go outside? The mother's, the mother's not allowed to leave. Oh, Believe right. it or not, the baby can leave. The, the mother, mother can't. She's supposed to stay in her pajamas. Do you know why? Yes. So she's very well cared for. She's supposed to stay in her pajamas. She has a very restricted diet. She only drinks uh, warm water um, because it's to contract the the stomach back in. They feel the mother should have rest, that she should take care of herself first so she can have a healthy baby. So it's it's what they teach on the plane. Put the oxygen mask on your face first so you can help your child. This is actually the Asian culture. They believe in caring for the mother first so she can care for the baby. Love that. I wish everybody was like that. Mm. I've actually had men bring the babies out to the studio and the mother's still at home. Wow. Yeah. Very fascinating. So now they also prefer natural light. Well, one day I went on a newborn home session. It was in Corona Del Mar. It was not for an Asian family. The house was the teeniest, tiniest house I've ever seen. It was, I'm sure a $3 million home, but it was narrow and there was no room for anything. I spent an hour and a half unpacking my lights, unpacking my backdrops, not having a place to put anything. I remember putting my lights behind the TV. Yeah. I was struggling for three hours in that living room. I went down the hallway to the bathroom, stopped dead in my tracks, and there was a downstairs guest room, all white, gorgeous windows, beautiful white bed, light streaming in. I came back and said to the family, we're calling it. There is no more shooting in this living room. We're doing the rest of the shooting in this bedroom. They looked at me like I was out of my mind. I made the parents get on the bed. They were like formally dressed and everything. Take your shoes, get on the bed. You see this light? This is, you see this light? This is what we want to see. Not the artificial light stuck in your living room, blackout curtains. It's a disaster. I, I yeah. just couldn't. You know, I remember how I felt. There's, there's only certain key times that I remember. That's one of them. I came back to the studio that day and I remember telling my assistant, Tiffany, I will never bring lighting to a 
home shoot again. Please, when you book a client, we're going to put it on my website. It will be every conversation. If you want a home session, that means you get me and my camera. I'll bring my five in one. I'll bring my reflector and diffuser. I will not bring any artificial lighting because that means that you want me to come into your space and you have light because I felt like the other was convenience. Oh, I don't feel like leaving my home. My home is not the best place to shoot it. But I remember being in that living room feeling like I was just convenient. Like, I don't feel like getting out of my home. So I'm just going to sit here in my cluttered home and let the photographer figure it out. And I hated that feeling. And I was like, no, this is unacceptable. I have a studio. I pay good money for my studio. It's all set up. I have good lighting there. That's the kind of studio work that I'm going to do. And I never, after that session, brought lights to a home again. Good for you. I like that. I like that. And it's fair enough. So, like, what percentage of your shots then would you say would be home visits as compared to um, a studio so so that you're lighting? Is it an even split or...? It, you know, it's, it's, it's ups and downs this time of the year. I'm 50% in the studio and 50% on location because I have such a mix right now. We're in holiday season. My clients love outdoor sessions as well as I do. They know I love natural light. They're obsessed as I am. So pretty much almost every single day from here to the end of the year, I'm only shooting in the studio till the afternoon. And then I'm on location the rest of the time. And I have, um, quite a few home sessions. I just was in LA in a home session last week. I have a couple more booked this year. That particular mom said she was not comfortable leaving the house. I remember when we booked her, do you have natural light? Several emails. And she's like, yes, yes, yes. And we only did it like in the corner. You know, it's amazing when I do do it in the home, I'm literally using like five by five or six by six square corner area in the yeah. corner of a room in their house. Yeah. I look for the light. I'll shoot anywhere. I don't care if it's in the bathroom. I'm going to look for that light. And so now I feel like right now I'd say I feel like it's 50, 50. And because I travel and teach a lot, I try to teach my workshops 50, 50. I try to teach the morning natural light and then studio light. And then in the summer, we're always outside. Um, in the winter months, I feel like it's, we're probably in more. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it definitely varies. And there are times where natural light drives me absolutely out of my mind. You know, it's, you get the sweet moments and then there's other moments where you want to lose your mind. So I think it's, I think it's nice to shoot both. And I feel like, I feel like in my mind, in my Virgo twisted mind that if I'm going to be a photographer, that means I'm a photographer. It really shouldn't matter whether it's studio light or natural light. Light is light. And you, and if you know how to light, then you can, you can work anywhere. It doesn't matter. So you can find that beautiful, gorgeous daylight and then you know, the next day it's not there. You can, you can replicate it if you know what you're doing. So having said that, like for the, um, newbies that are listening or anyone who is interested in maybe having a go at newborn photography, like when you walk into a house, how do you find the good light? Have you got, is it just something that you've trained yourself to do? Because I I say that like as an exercise, when you're learning to see light, what you should do is anytime you go into a new environment, look around and look for the good light and, and look for the good locations and make that an exercise that you do everywhere you go. And then you can get a sense of like finding that nice, beautiful, even lighting or that little pocket. Have you got a, a protocol that you follow? 
flow? Is there something that you do? Yeah. So what I do is I have this rule to myself, whether I'm going on location outside or to someone's home. And I tell my staff the same thing. When we pull up to a home, I say the gear stays in the car and we walk in the home with no gear. Yep. So I walk in the home with just the keys in my hand, or if I'm on location, same thing. There's camera bag stays in the car. I walk into the home and I say, do you have any particular rooms that you want to show me where you think there is good light? And 50% of the time they'll show me this room and they'll say, this is it. And I'll go, "Mm, no, it's not. Is there any other rooms? In my mind, I'm saying it's not. Or I'm praying it's not. Like, I'm really hoping it's not the room you have. And so I'll say, okay, can I, do you mind if I look around? And And then, you know, you know, when you walk in the room and I know new photographers will go, but how do you know? I feel like you just know. And you walk in a room and you can see the light across the room. And sometimes it's too strong. So I'll put a diffuser up or I'll put the curtains there. But it's I'd rather have that strong light than when you walk into a room and you know there's light, but there's not. It means when you see the direction of the light and you can see where the light's coming from, that's when you know you have good light. Whereas other rooms may be well lit. But you can't see where the light is coming from. So, but, but you didn't always know. So, what was it that you that made you realize this is the good light? What what did that? You know what I did um, those early years when I was by myself. I used to study and photograph flowers only right, because right. I had no other subjects. And I had a husband, a new husband who traveled all the time, who brought me flowers like every single week. You know, now we've been married like, you know, 18 years. So it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, I did get tulips coming home from the UK and I was like, Oh, oh that was fun. <laughs> um, but, um, it was, it was a joke that I would always get flowers from Jeff. And so, um, I remember getting a macro lens from eBay and I didn't really know how to use my macro lens. And so I was like, okay, well, all I had was natural light in my condo. And I knew that that morning light was, was get really strong towards noon. And if I kind of put curtains up, I could kind of diffuse the light, but it was strong enough to kind of give me what I needed. So what I used to do, not really knowing what I was doing is I would photograph the flowers by the window and then bring the flowers like a couple feet inside away from the window. (laughs) And I learned, gosh, sometimes if you're too close to that window, it's too strong. But if you just come a couple of feet in, you've got that strong light, it's going to soften and fall off and be really pretty, maybe two feet in the room. Yeah. And so I would do that with flowers so much so that I ended up selling like part of my flower collection to one of his colleagues who was decorating her office. That's how into flowers I was. Oh, fantastic. But that's how, yeah. the, but they taught you how to light. And I guess you could do the same. Like I suggest that uh, uh, before a newborn shoot, you buy yourself one of those uh, baby newborn dolls, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. put those in the shot and just use that right. to um pre-light or check your lighting do you do like you wouldn't need to do that now because you know like you've done so many you know what you're doing but like would that be something or even photographing like I've got a little G.I. Joe doll and just take that around the house and practice practice I guess yeah yeah you need things with dimension so that that you can see where the light is falling yeah but yeah absolutely I liked flowers because uh I liked texture Mm. and I like the different levels of depth with flowers but yeah you could do it with pets you could do it with dolls you could do it you know with anything really um and so i think that 
you have to you have to train yourself to see the light because yeah. when we're first starting out, we don't know anything. You don't you don't see anything, and it's like and uh, um, we were having this conversation off air. It's like the more you know, the more you realize it's like wow. Then there's this whole other level, and so that that moment where you start to understand a little bit of how light works, and you start to see the difference between the different qualities of light. I think that's a big moment, but that won't happen if you're not shooting it happens in the in because you're forcing yourself to look the more you look for something the more you'll you'll find it so i think it's in the in the looking and the shooting and like for, for you in the shooting the flowers you were so into them but then at the end of that you you get this whole beautiful collection of images as well so i think that's lovely and yeah yeah and it takes time i think people People want to just know things. You know, I remember when I was learning studio light, I took this six week intensive uh, lighting workshop at a fine arts center in Irvine. And I remember after the workshop, like, okay, now I'm really confused. Now I'm really lost because that was like major. I mean, we did everything Rembrandt, split lighting, yeah. and then off camera flash. And by the time you're done, you just have a headache and yeah. now you know what to do. And it took years to perfect studio lighting after that workshop. I mean, yeah. probably four or five years before I felt like I even knew what I was doing. And same with um, light metering. I do suggest to people that, you know, cause I'll walk into a scene and I'll be like, okay, I think I'm going to shoot at, you know, 2.8 and, and I'll, you know, call off my shutter, my ISO. And sometimes my assistant will be like how my assistants will say, how do you know that? And I'll go, well, I used a light meter for five years. Yes. I mean, yeah. I'm an obsessive. If I yeah. need to learn yeah. something, I need to learn it. And so the light could not take a picture without a light meter. I'd be like, hold on, let me meter the face, meter the scene. And I was obsessed. I had two light meters because if one's battery was dying, I would freak out. And what I'm I so glad you say that because there's <laughs> there's so many um, photographers that are teaching out there that say don't need them, just chimp, just guess it. And I'm like, no, because it, that takes forever. And I think clients lose confidence in you when they see you going, hang on, wait. And, and whereas you can do it with a light meter, you just go bang, 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 you've got it by your first frame, you're ready to go and you're into the shoot. And I think they're, yes. they're the best tool for every photographer. They really are. And I actually went to a camera store filled with guys, kind of intimidated, said, can you show me how to use this? I'm going to yeah. buy it. I don't know how to use it. And, you know, let them be guys and let them, you know, show me how to use it. And I, oh my gosh, I, I remember so many sessions I could not leave without, I would turn around if I left it behind. But when you do that for as long as I did it, and like most, I feel like that was back in the day, that's all we really use. I hate it that no one really uses them as much anymore. Yeah. Now, now I know settings because after 5,000 light meter tests, you kind of see there's a pattern you know, you and kind you of feel the light dropping you go oh we've just lost half a stop what yeah right. no, i feel it you feel it out of the corner of your eye or something it's just like this yeah. you develop this weird sense i don't know yes yes, yes. <laughs> and people are like how do you know to go from 200 to 400 iso well are you looking at the sun going down i mean do you not feel that time is shifting every click of our picture um but i if had I not had a light meter, there's no way I would have known how to do that for yeah. sure. Fantastic. Um, and just quickly, I just want to ask uh, about like, so with your, is there a, your go-to lens or does that, do you switch that up? Um, 
I do have a go-to lens, and my go-to lens is my 24-70. to 70. Mm. It's a 24-70 to USM2 lens, and I have a 35 Sigma art lens, and I also have a 50 oh, Canon. It's amazing. I love that lens. It, what? Which one? The, the 35. The 24-70 to 70 I've got in my kit, I've never used it. Really? Never. I don't understand it. It doesn't speak to me. It's and, and everyone's like, this is the lens you have to have. Everybody uses this lens. And I've put it on. I'm like, no, nah, doesn't work. It doesn't funny. work for me. It's so funny. It's weird, it's, isn't it? Well, what I love about that is that's how it's supposed to be. People are always like, tell me your lens because if I get the same lens, the heavens will part and I'll be amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, no, it's as personal as the socks you put on your feet. It's got to feel good. And if it doesn't, it doesn't work. I like the 24 to 70. You know, I had the first one and I never felt like my images were sharp enough. There was an issue with the sharpness on the first one. They fixed it on the second one though. Is that right? Correct. The first mm. one sucked. So if mm. you have the first one and your images suck, that's be- that's because of your lens. The and first I- one you put it on your desk, at, or, or you could, if you ever need to hold a door open with it, you put that there, or it holds papers, stops them from blowing away. And it probably drove me and five million other photographers nuts because mm. you think it's you. You're never yep. going to get a sharp image. You suck. No, it was actually the lens. Mm. So when I went to the USM2 lens, uh, the reason why I like it so much is because when I'm shooting newborns, quite often I go from newborns to toddler to family. And I can't jump back and forth on my 35 like I can on my 24 to 70. I yeah. just can't. And I same with pregnancy. I move around. I'm a fast shooter. For some reason, that lens keeps up on me. And you're I constantly move, off. Sorry, Anna. You, you're off. Tri- yeah. You're not. You don't use a tripod at all. Is that right? Never. Yeah. No. So you're all over the place. All over. Yeah. And I need that stability. I need that sharpness. The 35. I've got to be a little bit more still. Mm. A little bit more deliberate. I think it's a beautiful lens when you're using natural light and you're just using it on a single subject. Yep. I have a difficult time using it in a group. Um, my son steals my 35 Sigma all the time for video. He thinks it's the greatest lens in the entire world. Yeah. It's perfect for that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We've, we're discussing his Christmas present right now because I'm like, you get one, just pick one piece of equipment that you want because you're only getting one. So there's a big debate going on in the house, whether he gets that one or the Canon 35 as he's trying to do the research and figure it out. But I think it's nice to have a fixed, um, and I think it's nice to have a range. I yeah. think that if you only have a fixed, you find yourself, you know, fixed is limited, you know? And so whereas a range, it's a range. That's the whole point. Right. So I feel like if you can afford to have two, you have both. Why not? Yeah. That, and, that, and that's a good sort of range there. Now on, um, on your post-production, just like with yeah. babies, how much, like, cause I never know how much to how far to go on a skin tone with a baby and what to do because they get those little milk pimples on their nose they might have cradle cap what what's your thinking around that I've learned to leave the the nose white pimples alone. Mm. I've learned that you don't see them as as much as you think you do. Um, The cradle cap we we get rid of no one Mm. really wants to see that. I 
so I'm a big with the color. I will start by saying the color. I'm a big uh, Calvin White Balance girl. Yeah. Um, so, so do you grey card before you shoot, or, or have you got a like? I, I used to. I don't anymore now. Um, so I've done grey card. I've done all of that, and then I finally learned the magic of Calvin color temperature. And with a newborn, I could be anywhere from a 52 to 55 color temperature, 5500. If I and it's I'm Canon, so it is different for Nikon. And if I go outside, I like warmer temperatures, like 5,700 and 5,800. I control everything through Calvin color temperature and I drive myself crazy if I forget to change it. I'm pretty religious about changing it. So, but how do you know, what determines what you'll set your, are you looking at the skin tone of the child or like? Skin tone of the child. And this is another one of those practice. I, I studied the Kelvin color temperature. I had it printed out the chart for a really long time. I'm yeah. a studier. So I studied it. This is one of those things that if you're listening to this, don't just guess it again, learn the color temperatures, the settings, you know, spend time with it. I learned with jaundice babies, for example, if they're very orange or Asian babies tend to be very yellow yeah. or Caucasian babies tend to be very pink and red. You know, if, if I have a Caucasian very, the baby that's very pink and red, then my color temperature isn't going to be in the magenta i need it to be lower and not as warm because the higher the number the more magenta and more color tones you're getting so i'll keep my kelvin a little bit lower more like 52 or 5300 but so, you're shooting raw right i'm shooting raw yeah. plus peg yes yeah. And so I obviously can, I cull through Lightroom, so I can easily adjust the color temperature afterwards, right? Um, But I do definitely adjust it in the camera first. Then when I'm culling the session in Lightroom, I may have to tone down the red definitely in Lightroom if I think, gosh, that the color temperature still wasn't doing it. This is a pinky red baby. So I'll kind of do a quick color check. And then with the skin tone, it's more the blemishes, the peely skin, but I don't want the baby, you know, a lot of people will look at my babies and go, boy, you really retouched the baby. And I'm like, really, would you like to see the original? Because not all of them, but there are some where these babies come out pretty amazing. Yeah. I had twins today and their skin was flawless. Yeah. They were, gosh, I think maybe 12 days. They were a good size, seven and eight pounds, and they just had flawless skin. Some babies really come out flawless. Some come out like, I don't know where they came from. They are just a mess. They're, they're pink and red and peely and blotchy. And you're looking at them going, Oh my gosh, you're beautiful. But what a mess. I mean, bruised. And, and so good lighting is super important because if you have good lighting, it actually hides some of the flaws. Yeah. And when we're retouching or cleaning up, we try to go little teeny tiny. You can't cover large areas. You've got to zoom in and be as detailed as possible so you can still get the skin texture. Right. Beautiful. Um, all right. And just fi- finally, because I know I've got to let you go, um, just safety. I think it's really important to talk about with newborns. What 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 are your uh, what's your safety protocol on set? What what are you doing? What do you do every shoot to ensure the safety of that 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 little little one? I think first and foremost is make sure somebody always has eyes on the baby. Right. And it seems so simple to say, but even today I had two assistants, one on each side of the twins. And I think you need an assistant per baby. So if you have twins, you need to have two. And I had to tell them repeatedly, do not take your eyes off of the baby. And you think it's easy until someone comes in the room and starts talking. And what do you immediately do? Turn your head. Mm. 
immediately. And there were several times where I was like, eyes on the baby, eyes on the baby, not looking at me, eyes on the baby. So having an assistant to me is pretty vital. Now, with that being said, I do do newborn sessions without assistance. So again, not having the eyes off of the baby. If I'm shooting alone, then I have my eyes on that baby. The mom is sitting right next to me. And if I need to put the camera down or adjust or do something, I have to tell mom, you know, keep an eye on this baby. Also keeping the hands on the baby. Babies tend to have reflexes and jerk up and do movements. They could be one minute, sound asleep on a beanbag, lift up their head and roll right over. I mean, yeah. it's part of their body. I know there's scientific terms in there somewhere. Um, it's the startle <laughs> reflex. Yes. Where their hands just go out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's some other word I can't think of right now. But so I let I make sure that if a baby is ever on a prop, like on a bucket or on a bed or something where they're kind of leaning over it, especially because their head weighs more than their body, that spotter is right there. Most of the time the hand is on the baby, then lifts the hands up, takes the shot and puts it down. And as so many new photographers say, oh, I can't afford an assistant. I'm on my own. And I tell them over and over and over again, you can't afford not to have an assistant. If you're not getting paid for that session and it's a model call, then you've got to tell the parents you're by yourself. They have to be within hands, arms reach of that baby. They have to be sitting right there. And if you are getting paid, then I feel like a responsibility of that payment is to take a portion of that pay, which means if you're doing your pricing right, you've allocated it in the pay and what you're being paid for, for an assistant. Because, you know, having someone getting paid 10, 12, $14 an hour is worth a lawsuit or something worse happening to a baby. So I can't stress enough. I think having an assistant is super, 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 super important. Or if you don't have an assistant telling the parents, listen, this is a tiny newborn being with reflexes and movements and startles that I cannot predict. I'm going to need you to be right by my side for sure. Fantastic. And you're not, how high off the ground have you got your sets? They're quite low to the ground. Very low. Yeah, very low. And, and very- I see that the um, working with that twenty-four to seventy, I can see the advantage of that because it's a shorter focal length. You're quite close Correct. to the child, Correct. so you can have you can be shooting and even have one hand on the baby. It's like you're yep. not going like super wide. You probably stay at fifty, right? You wouldn't go Correct. any. Yeah, Correct. but fantastic. Yeah, um, there are many times where I do have my hand on the baby and I pull away, especially in like a froggy pose or something like that. You're absolutely right. And I, I it's why I use a yoga ball. Um, my bean bag is a higher bean bag. And I did yoga for years. And my only regret is I didn't bring a yoga ball sooner because with the yoga ball sitting in a high bean bag, I'm right there with that baby. And there's no stress on my body. My body is um, firm and secure on that ball. People think, Oh, you're on a ball. You're rolling. No, my feet are locked. I'm not going anywhere, but you also have to be relaxed. If you're squatting, what if you topple over having a hand strap on your camera? You don't want to risk ever dropping a camera on a baby. You could kill a baby with your camera. Yeah, absolutely. You know, having a strap, I see many newborn photographers not having a strap on the camera, wearing slippery socks. If you're wearing socks, use the yoga socks that have treads on the bottom of your socks so you don't slip or yep. wear your feet. You know, there's so many different little things where all it takes is the slip. It's even the reason why we have our lights hung on the ceiling is we didn't want toddlers tripping over our light stands. Oh, uh, exactly. That's a great, that's a great that's idea. A, yeah. So I've put some... 
some some of the beautiful images that you've taken in the show notes here and like i noticed that there's um particular like the, the the little wraps that you've got them in and the the some of the material that uh your maternity um sessions that that, that they wear there you you also sell that that stuff as well you, you've created yeah. products was that out of just like frustration because you couldn't find yes. the stuff that you needed <laughs> yes correct when yeah. i started maternity you know there were no maternity gowns on the market there was yeah. nothing and so i remember saying oh wear button down shirts or wear your husband's shirt and and then i would go to the fabric store and i would look for fabrics and the women the older ladies behind the counter they used to get such a kick out of me because they'd be like what are you doing now anna and i would say can you tell me the name of this fabric that's light in the air when i toss it or can you tell me the name of the fabric that hides you know women's you know rolls on her body and they'd be like oh that would be polyester or you know they would tell me the different fabrics yeah so it started with just buying polyester and wrapping it around a pregnant woman as a skirt and realizing ooh, that hides a lot of her flaws and i can see the shape of her body and with newborn i used to go to stores like the gap and other stores that that sold outfits that had bloomers but then up at their counter they would have a bin of bloomers for five dollars that were mismatched from an outfit for right. example yeah and yeah. i would buy the whole bin and they would say what are you doing with all that i'd say i hate diapers on newborns i need something to cover the diaper so i would buy these leftover diaper covers from stores so then i finally i had a friend who was a children's clothing designer and she's like you know you could get patterns made and hire a seamstress and make your own clothing. And I was like, I could, couldn't I? And that's kind of how it all started. It was more just for me. I needed something for these women to wear and the babies. And also I was bored. You know, like most creatives, we get bored. And I have an obsession with fabric and I can't really sew that well. I did take home ec and my mom sewed, but I'm not really, really good at it. And I just partnered up with amazing seamstresses. And now we sell our our clothing line um, at the shopanabrant.com site in over 70 countries. And it's, wow. it's, wow. it's fun because it forces me to come up with new ideas. And my clients, I will say that as a photographer, clients love when the photographer says, I have everything you need. You don't have to bring anything but your baby. Yeah, for sure. They love because they can just relax. They're not out shopping. They just had a baby. Well, I, I want your like props um, area because I just think it's amazing. And then, you know, the fact that a Virgo has designed it and like put every other thing, think that's just beautiful. So, um, Anna, it's been amazing talking to you today. You're so generous with your information and your work is just amazing. Where can people find you? Where, where, where's the best place to check out your work and uh, follow you on social media? Sure. We have it now so that everything is linked on my main website. So if you go to annabrant.com uh, with one N, there's links to my store, my workshops, our YouTube channel, our social media. Everything is linked from that website. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Well, I'll let you uh, get back to your um, work or, or be, it's, you're up late too. So I do appreciate that. But yeah, thanks again for chatting with us, Anna. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Wow, there you go, Anna Brandt. Now, oh, we've put some images of Anna's in the show notes, which, of course, you can find at GinaMalisha.com, and they're just gorgeous, aren't they? They are oh. so cute. Oh, and it's so like, cute. 
Anna was saying in that interview, the time and the preparation and the thought and the love that goes into each uh, individual shot. Like she, she, she plans everything and like just creates everything from scratch is inspired by the child and then builds these beautiful sets Mm. around them. And it's like, I know how much work goes into baby shoots. I know that I couldn't do it for a living because it's like just, so, so involved and mm. um but like her, her her image is just like that they're so beautiful don't you just want to you could do you know what you Stunning. could do Valerie Koo what uh puppies but like has someone started a, a baby animal photography oh, specifically for yeah. baby puppies, animals I don't know kittens. yeah oh my god kittens can, so cute oh my god can you imagine can you imagine so cute but puppies with their big long ears and mm. you know how their feet are really big when they're mm. born and like you could do something like that. I'm so, so cute. I wonder if anyone's done anything like that. I don't know. I guess when they're so little they're still hanging out with their mum or something. <laughs> I don't know. But these these images are gorgeous and um, make sure you check them out. Now, I love the story that um, Anna's actually an adopted child and has never seen what she looked like as a newborn. Mm. So, and I just think that's so cool that now she's kind of like dedicating a life or not dedicating a life, but spending a lot of time documenting that visual history for other people because, you know, these babies are new. They're like fresh out of the oven. They're so small. They're only like ten days old, Val. So, so cute. You know, there's just like there's one. The cover art looks like you're a little baby uh, sleeping on Rexy and Rocky. <laughs> Don't you think? Like yes. Rexy and Rocky, you could hire you could hire Rexy and Rocky out to yes. baby photographers, and they'd like you just like lie on them. You know? <laughs> Would they hold still? No. Because they'd be soft and squishy, and they'd be safe. Yeah, but Rex doesn't want to be second fiddle. How cute a shot would that be? I know, so cute. That would be so cute. Rex would be cuter than the baby, though. Yeah, yeah, of course, Valerie. Yeah, because yeah, you'll say. get to see Rex and Rocky uh, yeah. very soon in just a, a week or so. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you'll be able to take photos of them. It's so cute. Will they, they remember me? I haven't seen them for like of a year or so. Of course they will. I hope so because I, I, like, I can't cope when they do that thing where they <laughs> ignore me. Oh no, Rex will ignore you for a little bit, and then he'll then he'll love you. It takes okay. like half an hour. All right, just to warm him up. All right, yeah, well, I yeah. look forward to that. All right, so um, we you can find out more about Anna at Anna Brandt. That's A N A B R A N D T dot com, and obviously also check her out um on Instagram as well, Anna Brandt, um on Instagram, um. Awesome stuff. We'll put all of her links in the show notes and uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, the chat with Anna. So what have you got um, in the next few days before I see you, Gina? Well, right now I'm just about to head out and see a movie, Val. There's a movie about Vincent van Gogh that is like apparently it's all hand-painted. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And like thousands of artists were uh, employed for this movie. And it's like it just – I love Vincent van Gogh and uh, like this just sounds incredible. So I'm really excited to go and see that. Yeah, it's hand-painted in the style of van Gogh. Yes. Mm. So it's going to be fascinating. Oh, I can't wait. Mm. There you go. Yeah. I, I am not going to see a movie. I 
did see hidden figures on the I weekend. Saw that. I've seen that. So it's good. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I really, really loved it. It was um it was awesome. Yes, for me, until I see you actually, it's head down, bum up. I've got so yep. much work to get through. And then we've got a couple of days shooting together. And yep. then I am going to finally have a little bit of a rest, I think. Yes. But where do we find you online, Gina? So ginamilitia.com, G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A, and that's where you can connect with me on all social media. I'm also in the podcast community, so you want to be a photographer podcast community on Facebook and in the goal community. So if any of you listening, uh, thinking about maybe you want to take your photography to the next level, I would love to work with you and help you transition to that next level. There's over, I think, a couple of hundred videos online there, which is um, where I'm showing you all my shooting styles, lighting, posing, everything post-production, everything I do. And then we do photo critiques every month and uh, what else? And then ask me anything as well. So um, come check it out at genomilitia.com. Lots of great stuff there. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm also hanging out in the Gold community as well. So you'll find the show notes at genomilitia.com and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com. 